You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Welcome to this episode of the Down the Pub podcast. We're joined by Sandy Shermby from fellow Halifax football podcast, Tidal League FC. You can follow the show on Instagram at Down the Pub Pod and on Twitter at Down the Pub Pod C1. Don't forget to check out our web store at redbubble.com. Just search for Down the Pub Podcast. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Now on with the show. Really honored to be joined by one of Halifax's best podcasters, uh, Sandy Shemray from Tidal League FC. How's it going, buddy? How are you? I'm great, thanks, man. Really pleased to be with you guys. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's your podcast that's uh, been most exciting for me to be listening to since uh, you guys got going. So I appreciate being part of it. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Um, also, Chris and Carlos are our regular uh, barflies are here too. How's it going, lads? <laughs> Not too bad. Another episode. Thanks again, and thanks, Andy, for coming up to the pub. My pleasure. I've been calling myself a co-drunk, but I like Barfly <laughs> a little bit better. Yeah. You can call yourself whatever you want, man. It's all you. So, so Sandy, I just thought it'd be uh, um, a, good, a good time to talk on, like, obviously the title league was around before, and it's all been kind of basketball focused, pretty much. Yeah. Um, what what brought around the change for the uh, the FC part of it? Well, I think definitely it had a uh, a large part to do with um, a massive global pandemic, uh, <laughs> which shut down a lot of uh, sports leagues. Uh, it caused a lot of disruption in in the world and uh, gave a lot of people a lot of free time, including myself. So uh, my primary job, I'm working from home, and but uh, just the slowdown in in the nature of a lot of a lot of business. Uh, I, I had that sort of. Uh, a huge peak the first two weeks of pandemic. It was uh, extremely busy for me. Um, but then I just found myself with a lot of free time. And uh, I guess all the time that I would have spent watching sports or going to see sports on TV, uh, being at niche, watching games, um, that, that time is not consumed by anything. So um, Patricia, uh, one of the partners in Tidal League, uh, one of my best friends, and uh, introduced me to her partner, Kurt Benson. And this is, he's a really cool guy. Um, extremely innovative entrepreneur. He came to Canada from Zimbabwe when he was when he was like his early teens, and then um, moved to Halifax specifically two years ago to start Tidal League properly. And yeah, I think he'd been out here um, visiting a friend and fell in love with the city, and really saw Halifax as a place where he could launch his business. And um, I'm really grateful that he did that. And his first uh, major event for Tidal League was the um, the Jurassic Park viewing parties uh, last year for the Raptors, which were immensely successful. Uh, they launched the first of the other two basketball podcasts in October of 2019. So Wendy Sparks is the mother of uh, Hakeem Birch uh, of the Orlando Magic, uh, hosts the Courtside Moms podcast where they 
talk to the mothers of uh, various uh, well-known NBA players. Not super well-known to me as uh, not a not a big basketball fan, but um, it's a uh, it's a great podcast. And what I really appreciated about it is getting to hear some of the stories of professional athletes, whether I know the athletes or not, but hearing the stories of how, how they came to uh, find success in their careers, but through the perspective of their mothers. And I think anyone who's, who's played any sport at any level, whether it's, uh, you know, Timbits under eight soccer, if you played for city or Dumbrack or uh, any of the Halifax clubs, the, um, the sacrifice, the time, the commitment that your parents give up. I, I saw my own mother growing up, my brother played, uh, very competitive, high-level football for his uh, his whole life, and uh, the amount of time that these parents spend, whether it's at a court side, inside a hockey rink, or at the side of a soccer field, and it's it's really really great to hear that perspective. You know, we had more, having more time on our hands, uh, we thought it was a good time. Uh, totally, uh, both Kurt and Patricia were adamant that uh, we not be sitting still during the pandemic; that the company continue to grow and progress. You know, I, you hear a lot of cool stories about the things that people have done during um, this time period, uh, whether it's, you know, getting themselves in better shape or learning to cook or picking up an instrument, a new hobby, that sort of thing. Writing the book. Yeah, writing a book, sure. Um, My story. But, it, but it's amazing to, to see that the, uh, the effort that they've put into growing the company during, the, during this time. Like a lot of businesses, as you guys probably all know, are, are struggling. Um, you know, whether it's a restaurant or, um, you know, salons and, and that sort of thing where a retail just being decimated. We're lucky that we are a small startup um, with low to no overhead. Um, and our greatest assets are the content that we can create, which, uh, you know, doesn't require a ton of resources to do so, as you know. And um, so it's the perfect time to get into, into a new line of business. You've managed to, uh, to snag some pretty good guests. Uh, you've had uh, Paul Salteri, uh, Dylan yeah. Sacramento, and stuff like that. So uh, what way do you um, focus on getting your, your guests and stuff? Well, so I think you guys would know this and uh, definitely appreciate it. And it's one of the beautiful things about the football community is uh, it's relatively small in this country and it's very close-knit. And um, everyone, I've, I think for the most part, are eager to do favors and help each other out and um, – it's, it's one of those scenarios where it's similar to the, the craft brewing industry where um, there's so much room for growth in, in the football world in Canada. And it's not a matter of uh, competing or, um, you know, trying to one up each other. Uh, everyone wants to see everyone else succeed. So uh, you talk to one person um, who's very happy to connect you with someone else and that sort of thing. So being local, we were, we were eager to talk to Ante Jasic right off the bat, uh, likely Nova Scotia's top footballing uh, export of all time. Um, and Ante, uh, you know, such a great guest and he, he's, you know, he's intelligent, he's articulate, he's been around the world, he's seen a lot of different aspects of the game. And, uh, the, you know, these guys, that, that era of Canadian uh, stars, uh, you know, from the Gold Cup uh, time of Paul Solteri through that, that, that period of the 2000s, they're all still quite tight. And they're, they're, you could tell by the way they talk uh, to each other and about one each other that they're very good friends. So he, he was connecting us with Paul Stelteri. And so that, that's how we got Paul on the show. And as a Spurs fan myself, it was, uh, it was, great, it was great to have him. I, was, I must say, I was so jealous when I saw that one because we, we talked to Jimmy, to Jimmy Brennan. And uh, yeah. 
uh, like obviously like Paul had come on board and I, I was just like, like I'd love to get him on because I'm a sports fan too and uh, I was a little bit pissed so um, go to hell man honest to God he was like did you see who title got on yeah, was, go over to Spotify and there's Paul Stoltieri <laughs> no um, no it was it was fantastic to have him and I think um, and you guys again would probably would probably appreciate this from the guests that you have on but what I find so uh, thrilling and rewarding um, about conducting these interviews is they are so appreciative and grateful and humble to be coming on the show. And I'm like, what? No, no, no absolutely not. It's absolutely my pleasure. It's, uh, you know, like I'd pay to, I'd pay to get you here if I could, but, uh, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, they're so, they're so gracious and, um, maintaining the relationships uh, after the fact, you know, some of our guests that we've had towards the end of season one, uh, we're still in close contact with and we're uh, collaborating on a couple of new projects uh, going forward. So it's, uh, it's been really fantastic. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really nice. Like I must say, I, I do agree with you like that. Um, I was very surprised in um, that we were able to get people from the different teams here in Canada to come on. Like back home yeah. in, in Ireland, sometimes it can be a little bit difficult because it's a very closed community because everybody wants their time kind of thing. Where yeah. obviously here would have been a bit of a, a startup league. It's kind of nice that all the clubs have been super, super involved in the podcasting community to get their, get their message out there, right? Yeah, and I, th- I think that that does speak volumes for the, um, the Canadian Premier League. It's like uh, their immediate um, desire to get their players, uh, you know, out into the spotlight. You know, this is not a league where it's on um, primetime TV uh, every week or on TV at all, for that matter. So it's going to be hard to get the uh, build the brands and the uh, – the, the household names and the, uh, you know, the recognition of, of the players. So I think they're doing a good job. This is a, it's been a good time for it to happen because where football fans were so starved for content where, where the games are not on. And I think the clubs have done a wonderful job. The Wanderers particularly have done a, an amazing job of keeping the, the fans connected to the players uh, through all the content they're putting out. So it's, it's great. And it benefits, of course, it benefits us uh, immensely. So, so what you're saying there is, is that the club should be paying us. Is, is that oh, what you're basically, yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, just before I hand over to the guys there, like I know you did mention that you're a Spurs and a Glasgow Celtic fan. So uh, how did your love of those two teams uh, come about? Yeah, so I was born uh, just outside Edinburgh in Scotland in a city called Livingston, uh, which now actually also has a team in the Scottish Premier League. Uh, we've been a sort of up-and-down team. Uh, when I moved to Canada in 1999, uh, Livingston were just um, about to win. They won the championship the, that year, 99-2000, I think, and were promoted into the SPFL for the first time when I'd come to Canada. But by that point in my life, I'd been a Celtic supporter for uh, you know, almost 10 years. And it's interesting how I became a Celtic supporter because I come from a family that are uh, staunch Ranger supporters. Jesus uh, Christ. Yeah, my, my grandfather um, grew up um, in a part of Glasgow where it's predominantly Protestant, and uh, most, pe- most people are, are very, uh, very strong Ranger supporters. And when I was about four, maybe five years old, I remember it well, um, Rangers playing in this disgusting, um, like, lavender purple uh, away top, and the Cunes lager across the front. And they were playing, uh, playing Juventus in the Champions League, you know, the group stages, and I think they, they lost 4-0 and 4-0. And um, I hadn't been paying close attention to the game. I wasn't, like, a Rangers supporter at the time, but I, I was tangentially aware of that my whole family were. 
And I said to my mother, like, you know, mom, why, why are we Ranger supporters? They're, they're terrible. Like they just got slaughtered by some team from Italy. I haven't even heard of, keep in mind, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm five years old here. Right. Um, and she's like, well, no, it's okay. So I'm like, you, you can support whoever you want. Like just, uh, you know, pick your favorite team with your favorite players. She's like, who do you want to support? And I was like, well, um, Celtic had just signed this uh, this big Dutch striker Pierre Van Hoy. Oh, no, legend. Yeah. <laughs> he was legend. Great, great in the air, great with the ball at his feet. Um, John Collins was playing on the side at the time. Uh, Tom Boyd, Jackie McNamara was young, uh, playing playing on the wing. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to become a Celtic supporter. She wasn't too thrilled about it. I uh, was a little worried about how the family were going to react, but they, uh, you know, I got to keep my family name. They they didn't uh, kick me out of the house or anything. They just kicked you out of the country. They banished you to Canada. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. With Tidal League, um, Tidal League, as we discussed it at the beginning, um, it's more like a basket, started as a basketball podcast yeah. and everything, and now you're trying to do to build a football podcast, etc. How did you land it to to that project? Because uh, at the title is more well known for being a basketball. So, do you come up and pitch them the idea? They approach to you. You can tell us more about that. Yeah. So, I think Kurt uh, Kurt Benson, I, who's the CEO and founder of the company, um, he he's uh, very analytical. He he pays close attention to um, to the developments in the business world, the business side of sport, and um, pays a lot of attention to. Uh, to the growth and the development of the NBA as Kurt's a basketball guy through and through, of course, but of the, of the big five sort of North American sports, I think um, basketball is one of the ones that has the biggest room for growth in, in Canada, at least for now, but it's still growing nicely in the U S and I think with the success of the Raptors, that's really propelled uh, the support, the support in this country and uh, drawn a lot of, um, you know, we call them bandwagon fans. Um, I, don't, I don't love that term because I think I think if you're generating interest in a sport, in, in a team, obviously we've only got the one NBA franchise in the country. Um, I think anything that generates interest, uh, the, the key thing that, um, that the organization will have to be, um, you know, looking towards is uh, maintaining the momentum. Uh, if the team has, has bad years in the seasons to come, will the fans stick around? Uh, will the people who have been, who have been brought into uh, into basketball fandom uh, due to that um, successful um, uh, championship victory? Uh, will they stick around and can and can they keep the uh, the momentum? It's similar to the CPL, um, but but within within that um, you know uh, context, uh, soccer obviously is at the 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 peak um, you know interest level that it's been in North America. Um, I'd say ever. I've been here 20 years now, and the difference is astounding. Uh, even for like four or five years ago, and the story I keep telling is um, in 2014 when the World Cup was on, I was working in the Maritime Center above Niche. So I used to go down on game day, and I'd, I'd stroll in like five minutes before kickoff of any game and get any seat in Niche that I wanted to, to watch the game. I admit uh, those days. Yeah, exactly. And literally like the, and, not to cut you off, man. Yeah. There's no there's I don't know if Anthony ever experienced it, but the niche presentation of the World Cup in the Euros was something I'll never forget. Top notch. Oh, Top notch. fantastic. The outside patio with the with the big screen. I used to uh I used to work at the Bell store in the Maritime Center. Oh, there you so, go. So, so it's directly over niche. So every time a goal went in, the the the, <laughs> the floor would shake. It is nice. it was incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And, That's amazing. And so, so you remember that? Fast forward four years, just four years to 2018. 
group stage matches. You could barely get into uh, pubs and bars. When it got into the, the round of 16 and the quarters and the semifinals, there was, there was lineups going down the street for a lot of places. The, um, the viewing party on Argyle Street, I think there was 1,000 people watching France and Croatia. Um, Finally, yeah. Yeah, in the middle of the street. I had to watch the game. I think I missed the first 20 minutes, which I've never, ever done in, like, since I've been old enough to watch the games. Uh, I had to watch the first 20 minutes sort of from the street and, you know, like running back and forth to trying to get into places, texting. I ended up in um, the ale house upstairs um, watching it from, like, a really terrible angle. Um, you know, but that, that shows the, the immense growth in the sport and the, uh, the interest level. And it's fantastic. And that's really where I think Kurt saw that uh, MLS is growing and doing really well. All the new, the new clubs joining the league and the success that they're having. And the players that are coming to play in North America. And they're not coming quite so much at the, the very, very ends of their career anymore. Um, and then, of course, with the CPL coming uh, to Canada, I think that it was apparent to Kurt that, um, you know, of, of, North, of the North American sports, um, what's, growing, what's coming and what's going. Uh, they definitely see basketball as um, something that's, that, that's uh, increasing in popularity in soccer. Obviously, it's just um, has the, the, the far biggest potential, I think, in, in this continent to, uh, to grow exponentially. So we wanted to, he wanted to be there. And I was probably the only friend he had in Halifax at the time that was a big uh, football fan. So uh, that's where we went with it. Professionally speaking, you're damn good at what you do, man. I appreciate um, that. Do you have a radio background, media background? Did you go to journalism school, or like, did he just pick you up as a fan? No, not at all. So um, my background, actually, I've spent a few years working in politics, um, which I'm tr- going to do my very best to not get into ever on uh, a soccer podcast, and <laughs> except potentially in this uh, the next uh, special episode that we have coming up, which I, I'm happy to talk to you guys about. But uh, I worked for the uh, provincial government in Nova Scotia for a few years, uh, working for one of the ministers, and I went up to Ottawa to work for the federal government for a few years. And then uh, in the time that I've been back, I've done some, some GR and PR for uh, a cannabis company, and now I work full-time for Canada Post. So I talk a lot for a living. That's, uh, that's my uh, profession. I'm just a guy who rambles, uh, happy to talk about anything, including the postal service, stamps, and... <laughs> You know, so, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I, I mean, you guys are probably all the same, right? You're fans, um, you're, you're very passionate about what goes on. Um, sports fans are privileged nowadays that we're able to get more and more analytical. There's, there's more coverage. Uh, it might not be the traditional broadcast coverage, but uh, the web coverage, um, the statistical analysis of the game, the writing that's going on, the quality of the writing that I think is coming up by a lot of the um, – the independent uh, online um, outlets and like the athletic and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. a, a lot of people talk uh, poorly about the, but I'm really enjoying uh, the DAZN service. And it's, it's a little pricey, but I think the quality of the content and what the, you know, the, the level of detail that you're able to, um, to get about the games, you know, the analytics that they have um, is fantastic. And, Everything, and Sorry, everything. Okay. Just to follow that one, um, I feel like nowadays, um, it's easier to get content. Like you go to any website, you get all the stats and how many yeah. passes, how many dribbles. Like yeah. we talk about, like twenty years ago, oh, no, it was nothing. it was harder. You gotta subscribe. You get a magazine. You gotta read it. 
then make a resume in a piece of paper and then go to your show and do it, right? Now it's way easier. Like you can, from your cell phone, right from yeah. your cell phone, you just like do it right away. Yeah. Just like on the side note, just to. But I think I think like the big thing now as well too is uh, as you mentioned there is that people are paying more attention I find to independent people like like ourselves rather than going to TSN and Sportsnet and stuff like that that they're willing to listen to the likes of us <laughs> like chew on about stuff but I like it, it's it, like that, that's where I get most of my content I don't I don't really like go straight for TSN or sports anymore. I'd rather listen to like it's proper a, fans. It's a great point and it's um it's yeah. frustrating and I find it really perverse actually because at the t- the exact time when soccer is growing um you know just tremendously in this country the major outlets seem reluctant to be investing major dollars in in the coverage of the games and I don't know if you heard uh, the episode I did with Owen O'Callaghan uh, who was one of the co-hosts for the Fox Soccer Report for a period of time and as with Jeremy St. Louis um they they were like they were pioneers, I think, in um, covering the game uh, from a Canadian context. Um, you know that that show was on every single day of the week. You could go on, and it was, and then it just looped for ages. So there was always good football content on great, um, great insights and analysis. They had um, little segments. Um, they had that funny guy Max Bredos um, doing those things from from uh, LA. And TSN and ESPN, they didn't quite, you know catch up with it um uh, uh, i don't know what what you guys thought of the nbc coverage of the premier league it was decent but um it's not it's not ongoing it's not football specific it's just a big sports network um dipping their toe every once in a while into uh, football when it's convenient i find it very uh like generic like like i could be watching an nfl game or a football game you know what i mean like it's kind yeah. of the same like it looks really polished yeah but, and i find sometimes like and this is this will probably get me banned from everywhere, but like I, I find like some of the uh, the the analysts that they have on like the ex players and stuff like that, like they're so vanilla. Like nobody's like willing to give push the their, envelope. Yeah, give their own honest opinion about or, stuff. Or, or the other there's, way around. Or there's no passion either. Like you know, that, like, for yeah, example, like passion. W- once you have passion about the sport, like then it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't help vanilla because you're more into it. And if you see Sky Sports, like any stream. Um, the way that they do it, you know, those guys breathe. Yeah, it's but, amazing. But I think it's also that because I think, like, obviously, trying to get access to people in in, in Europe for the North American networks like that, they're yeah. probably afraid to piss piss off the clubs by being too controversial. Whereas yeah. in whereas in England, like, they need Sky, and it's like it's the way the fans are that they need to have a Roy Keane or a Jamie Carragher or a Gary Neville to kind of push the envelope and be controversial. Whereas, yeah. It's a different market, I guess, in the States. But, yeah, I, I kind of miss – I really do miss that. And I think that's why, like, whenever Roy Keane says something ridiculous, like, I'm kind of straight away want to watch it on YouTube. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I, most of it's shit and it's rubbish what he's saying, but it's still cool to hear it. You know what I mean? Like, like the fact he said that David that yeah. Hay has won the – like, <laughs> I'm sick of this goalkeeper. He's, like, one of the best goalkeepers in the world, man. You know, like, yeah. get, get off the stage, you know? But uh, you kind of need that, though, right? And that's the beauty of, I think, the transition towards more independent um, coverage of the game. Like, none of us are ex-professionals. Uh, none of us have um, a strong affiliation um, from a, an employment perspective to one of the big clubs or one of the big networks. We can say whatever the hell we want. Um, and as long as we're not being offensive or um, really, uh, you know, tarnishing a reputation of a particular player or, or a club, um, 
And all that really stands to do is uh, drive away viewership or prevent potential guests from coming on the show. And no one's intent on doing that anyway. Uh, we're all, everyone's a reasonable guy. And that was, I think, one of the biggest um, reasons for the success of the Fox Soccer Report. Again, they were just so independent. And it was just pure, um, unfiltered like football analysis. You know, Bobby McMahon, an expert on the game, um, you know, a, a background, I think he's an accountant by trade and a, a sports management consultant. Um, so just a really sharp guy with a dry wit. It's just, and he just calls a spade a spade. He just, he'll watch the game, he'll provide the analysis, um, you know, he's, he's, he's got no agenda. It's just to provide football coverage. And that's what's fantastic about it. Who would have thought that, like, you'd be here saying that, like, you, you love listening to an accountant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like, kind of like Keith, Keith Olbermann. I don't know if you're familiar with Keith Olbermann, Sandy, but, like, that's why he blew up because when he started covering baseball and football, it was just neutral perspective. He's yeah. just gone from a completely different wavelength of life talking sports and it was just off the off the rocker and like you you just brought up like fox sports world you interviewed jamie i don't know like if i'm assuming you were like you were just saying you used to watch it all the time is nostalgia something you look for when you're trying to set these interviews up because when you did that interview with jeremy it was just unbelievable because it just it just it brought me back to my youth like you were saying i remember even yeah. being up at two in the morning watching the, the reruns of Oh the my God, I know. Like, you know, you miss it during the day, but you stay up. Yeah. That, that extra uh, couple hours. So like is, is, and, and I guess a follow-up question before I pass it back to Anthony going forward, kind of the follow up, the question I did before, is this something that you can see yourself doing going forward full time? Is this like something that you really want to dive into and figure out ways to make it a living or is it the, the hobby aspect of it, what you're really interested in? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was just going to make a point, like, too, about the, the major broadcasters, the, uh, being, you having to be so careful what you say on those, uh, because how many times have you seen a, a, you know, a great sportscaster or writer uh, be terminated from a position based on something they said on the air or tweeted or that sort of thing? So hopefully no one at Canada Post is, um, is listening in here and uh, getting the impression that I want to leave the, uh, the corporation. <laughs> Um, <laughs> hashtag, hashtag we love stamps. <laughs> yeah, especially, especially when we're so busy with uh, the parcel delivery during this pandemic. But um, we do have some um, some pretty aggressive uh, growth and scaling plans for the company. And um, I think uh, some of the content that you'll see, both on the basketball side and on the football side, in the next few months, uh, will give you a bit of a perspective on where we're going. To, to the point about nostalgia, I, I think absolutely, because... I never want to leave people with the impression on the show that football is new to Canada and that we've just sort of like discovered this thing that we've been hiding on a rock all these years. And there's just this shiny new object that just somehow magically um, transplanted itself into this country when the CPL arrived or when the three MLS uh, teams arrived, you know, there's been football fans in this country for a long, long time. They just haven't had an outlet for it. And, and the Fox Soccer Report, that, that show uh, began in like 2001. And it's been, it, you know, it, it ran about 10 to 12 years. It was, I, I'm just a really, a really high quality piece of, um, of sports journalism. Um, and, and to your point uh, about the nostalgia, that's, that's exactly um, what I was kind of hoping to do with these, those interviews is, you know, remind people that, you know, Canada's had, uh, and that show was produced in Winnipeg of all places, right? Um, 
something that was beamed into 32 million households across North America every single night. Uh, it was produced in um, a little studio in Winnipeg, Manitoba by Jeremy St. Louis. Like his, his background was uh, like local media. He did local media and weather before uh, getting like landing his role on that show. Right. Uh, he did a little bit of sports here and there, but he was working in like Yorkton, Saskatchewan, Brandon, Manitoba, um, covering local news and weather from time to time. And, you know, we, we had an ability, um, or they had an ability to get him on a show that um, built expertise that launched a now 20 year long career covering sports the way he does. And he's, he's been with BN sports. Now he's with CBS. Um, but uh, it was really interesting to hear the perspective. And, and, and one of the things I love most about those two interviews is how often do you get to hear the stories behind the sports storytellers, you know, so much of what we know about the game and our perspective of the game is shaped by these journalists and they're the ones who are, who are telling us the stories every day. They, they influence the way we understand the game based on what they put in their articles, uh, how they frame the discussions on their shows. And it's not so often we get to just sit, sit and listen to them talk about their experiences and their careers. So it was extremely refreshing for me. And especially for a guy like Jeremy St. Louis, who I, I watched for years on that show. And it was always just, you know, him and Bobby McMahon and, um, and Michelle Whistle was on there for a while. There's, there's a whole host of them. Canada's got, Canada's got plenty. Um, but I really think that um, these guys deserve a lot of credit for um, shaping and growing and developing the, uh, the football culture and the, uh, the viewing experience in Canada. Your future, is this like, are you just kind of rolling with this and seeing where it goes? Or like, do you have like a bigger vision? I don't want to, I don't want um, to scoop any um, announcements or anything that um, the title League will be uh, uh, presenting in the next uh, few months. But uh, I'll, I'll say that um, on the basketball side, we've got um, a lot of forks in the fires, a lot of potential partnerships. Uh, Kurt is incredibly collaborative. We love the space and we, we find, and it's like I was saying earlier, there's podcasts. Uh, everyone does their own thing a little different. Everything's got its own personality. It reminds me a lot of the craft beer industry. No one's going to complain or be upset when another brewery opens up down the street because it's just one more, one more beer you're going to have to go try and, um, and see if it's a, a good fit for you. Put it into your rotation. Um, I listen to your podcast frequently. I listen to the um, Footy Prime with James Sharon and Danny Dickie. Those guys are hilarious. Uh, they've been around a long time. They get great guests. They, um, they obviously have enormous experience in the game. But I think where Title League's going is to get into some more collaborative partnerships. We're looking to get into other forms of media other than just podcasts. So um, you'll see in the next uh, few weeks, I'd say, um, we're going to bring back one of the guests from season one and a, uh, an unnamed uh, Hollywood actor. We're going to do our first video episode. And we're going to start getting into more... Um, uh, like multi-sport things as well, you know, so it's not just going to be like always talking about football, always talking about basketball. And by and large, I think Canadians are sports fans. And especially in a city like Halifax, where we don't have, you know, like an NHL franchise or an MLB franchise, um, Haligonians will consume all sports. And I think it's um, exactly why, like look at the lacrosse, how successful the lacrosse team was um, in its disrupted first season. And, um, but there are a lot of sports fans here. When I went to the, the U.S.-Canada uh, rugby game at the Wonders Grounds um, two summers ago now, maybe, 
um, incredible crowd, incredible atmosphere. And um, for the most part, a, a large group of people that I don't often see at the, you know, the faces, there's, there's plenty of Wanderers fans there for sure. Um, but it's not the same people I see at Mooseheads games or at the uh, Hurricanes basketball or at lacrosse. It's different people. So it means there's a lot of sports fans out there that just don't have something to go consume. And it was the same with the Wanderers. Uh, when you go to the Wanderers games, like, first of all, we quickly get to know each other's faces. There's 6,200 people, but you're in the same sections of the stands. You get to know the people you see the faces. Uh, but then going to the lacrosse games, you see a very different crowd. And that's fantastic because it shows, uh, it demonstrates that Halifax is becoming a mature sports market. And it's just, a, it has been underserved for years and absolutely no disrespect to, um, the Halifax Mooseheads, who are a fantastic organization in junior hockey. They produce a ton of great talent. They've got a great track record of getting kids into the NHL. But at the end of the day, that's amateur sport, right? That's 16, 17-year-old kids. It's not full-time professionals. Um, and the quality of the play, again, is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But it shows that this market has been starved for um, professional sports content for a long time. So Tidal League... Um, doesn't envis- envision itself as a basketball company or a soccer company. It's a sports media company. And there's plans down the road to get into to, to documentary filmmaking and perhaps uh, some talent management. And, and again, working with a lot of, like, a lot of existing companies and collaborating, building upon the relationships that we're, we're developing with the, the NBA. Um, there were now beginning to grow in the soccer world, but also in the media world as well. So I think um, with season two of the podcast and some other special projects, you're going to see a lot of growth uh, with the company in this year. And again, we're just, we're so lucky to be able to be doing it from Halifax. Yeah. um, To be honest with you, like, I mean, the, what you said there, like, I mean, I think the city has just been craving like professional sports teams and that's why you're seeing people going out. Like, I mean, I went to, um, one of the the first rugby games here, uh, which was Team Canada against the Glasgow Warriors, and I, saw, I was at that one too. And I, I, I was so surprised by the amount. Of, I thought it was literally going to be me and my buddies with a, a bag of cans or something, but yeah, it was it was sold out. It was amazing, and it's like, yeah. it, <laughs> and then as soon as the first Atlantic Flex game against yeah um, Dusseldorf, Dusseldorf, like. The, the amount of people that, that turn up. So I think that's why the CFL has looked at it and said, okay, look, we yeah. probably missed a step here by not coming to, to Halifax. But um, like, like going forward, I, I definitely think that um, watch this space. I think the rest of the country needs to kind of like take a look at because it it's an amazing city and the, the sports, uh, the sports crowd here is very knowledgeable too. I couldn't believe when I moved here in 2010, just how much people knew about football. You know, like I'd go down to, yeah. I go down to Nice on a Saturday to watch a game, and there'd be like a bunch of people there, and like I'd expect everybody to still call it soccer, and you know, like all the terms would be like kind of screwed up and stuff like that. But people knew what they were talking about. It was kind of cool. Uh, it's it, it's matured so much in in such a short time period, and um, I've been here twenty years. So I remember like nineteen ninety nine um, on TV to get football, you'd get like a two week old highlight of a Man United game. Um, and you see Teddy Sheringham score, and you're like, "Ah, oh, Teddy Sheringham's that's, playing really that's, well." 
That's how I grew up as a Manchester United supporter. Well, okay. Those VHS is getting sent overseas. <laughs> and then you'd find out that, that that was three weeks ago, and he's actually since been injured and hasn't played since. <laughs> and he's not, he's not playing very well um, or, or, or something. He's been um, back to Tottenham. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> You're getting the, they're getting the news so late. And then it's even worse for me as a, a Scottish Premier League fan. Um, because Celtic, uh, get, those games would never be on TV. It was the rarest thing in the world if Celtic got into the Champions League group stages and TSN were carrying Celtic versus AC Milan or something like that. I think I could count on uh, one hand the amount of times I watched Celtic live from Nova Scotia on a major network until maybe like 2010, 2011, something like that, when uh, TSN were really starting to pick up on their Champions League coverage. Um, And how much has changed. But then just like... Going to the like you're saying, going to the pub and seeing people with the tops on, and not just uh, there was a phase where um, you know the sports uh, sport check and that would start carrying Real Madrid, Barcelona, Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United tops. So everyone who's a football fan and their parents would maybe buy them one of those jerseys for uh, for Christmas or something, and then that would be their adopted team. So, so you you'd see maybe like a handful of people in a bar every once in a while with one of those shirts on. Now it's like everyone supports their team properly and everyone's got a family connection to a city in, in the UK or in Europe and can become a fan of, of their team. Look at the, um, uh, I don't want to go on about them, but look at the Liverpool supporters club in Halifax. Oh, like, they're, it's, it's insane. Like I, I was there at Nelly's on, uh, uh, what day was the Man City game to Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday. And uh, there was there was still like like fourteen or fifteen of those guys just kind of kicking yeah. around in there like after I finished work and they were still celebrating. It it's, was insane. It's fantastic to see. Um, I was the Boxing Day game against Leicester, uh, the four nil four nil game, and it was absolutely packed. It was standing room only, and it was I'd say eighty five percent of the bar were like Liverpool supporters there for that game. Um, from from the front doors when you come in all the way to the back. Everyone knowing the, knowing the songs, they know the players inside and out, and they've got a great little community. And I, and I don't know to what extent other clubs uh, have that in Halifax, but it's wonderful to see. I, I've been talking to like uh, there's a friend of the show, Vicky Vicky Israel, and I've been kind of saying to her for a while. I'm really so, so surprised that like knowing how popular United is all over the world, it's not one here in Halifax. Like it's like if somebody actually like went and organized that, I think that they do so well. It's like, it's, uh, yeah. I know so many more United fans than I do Liverpool. So, um, and I think, I think it's tickets. easier or I think it's easier also here because in Canada, they consume a lot of uh, premier league. Yeah. I thought so like, it's way easier to execute that. Like you can have your Chelsea fans, your, uh, there's a lot of Arsenal fans too yeah. out there. So yeah. Poor buggers, but, work, yeah. yeah. So that's probably the worst part about living here, man. Just too many Arsenal fans. <laughs> you know what? It's wild. I mean, my brother is one of them. But I think it's because, to, to Sandy's point, the early 2000s, the, the sport wasn't yeah. that popular. But it was kind of getting to that point where the TSNs and, and well, I don't know what sports that was called back then, but they were actually starting to show games. Yeah. And it was that like 2003 to 2005, 2006 Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, like the Invincibles. Invincibles. And, yeah. you know, and, and being a Manchester United fan before that period, yeah. I knew 
that these guys were the 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 first challenge to our throne in quite a long time. Yeah. And I think that's that's why a lot of people kind of drew to Arsenal because there were so many Manchester United fans already. People just naturally gravitated to the opposition. And I think that's why nowadays you see a lot of Chelsea fans now, a lot of City fans, and I mean the Liverpool fans from back in the 70s and 80s, but you see even a, a modern Liverpool fan nowadays too. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you've been touching on how the game has changed. What are, what are your thoughts on the Canadian Premier League itself? Like, I know that it's, the hiatus has kind of made a bit of a hiccup for it, but with your soccer background, what's your what's your thoughts on the league and what do you think they need to do to keep it rolling going forward? So I, I think a lot had been said about the CPL before it kicked off and um, – you know, if if you if you watch um, if you watch the game of someone who's like currently living in the UK and goes to a lot of professional games, you might get the odd rumble of "Oh my God, what am I watching here?" Like, how many throw-ins can there be in a game of professional football? And um, but uh, by and large, I mean, I found I found the the quality of play quite quite high. And um, you got to and this is what I think we were all bad for as fans last year, just forgetting how unique the situation is that it's a startup league with startup teams and you know no no one's got a playing style yet because they haven't been playing together for multiple seasons like no one could say oh that's uh, such typical cavalry football because <laughs> they, they don't have they don't have decades yeah, yeah. of, um, of track record pop- we, we might know that now though but <laughs> yeah and, and and it was really interesting to see how the different managers uh, put their clubs together um, you know, Stephen Hart, I think, uh, you know, being mostly uh, having a background in international football where you're not playing, you're not playing week in, week out, it's a, a bit of an adjustment for him. And I think if you look at the signings um, and having Matt Fegan on the show, like listening to the, the stuff that they're doing in the background, it shows the benefits of being a startup team in a startup league as well. So they're very quick to adapt and change directions where if you're if you're Arsenal and you've been doing things the same way for a hundred years and you've got a board of directors and an ownership structure and this and that and it's a very rigid corporation um, to to change directions with um, the Canadian league doesn't have that problem and the teams certainly don't um, so I thought first season good product very worth the money and you know a, a sunny day out on the Wanderers grounds. Um, watching two decent football sides uh, going at it on a, on a nice uh, pristine grass field um, for 20 bucks. Uh, yeah, you, you, there's, there's nothing better. There's nothing better you can do with 20 bucks on a Saturday in Halifax for sure. Um, but the, the players that came to the league, um, some, some of them were decent and had decent track records. A couple of guys now have left the league and gone on to play or going on to play in like, you know, the Eredivisie. So that, that says a lot. And Cavalry uh, beats um, Vancouver Whitecaps so over over two legs in the Canadian Championship. The Wanderers gave the Fury a very good run for their money, and and I was at the game um, at TD in in Ottawa. We played them off the park in some parts of that game. You know, we really could have uh, we really could have ground out a result there. Um, but uh, it was just I, I think if you talk to anyone that went to a game. Um, it, it was a phenomenal experience. Um, the league itself, I think, needs to do a little bit more now to really um, to push itself into the uh, the forefront of the of the sports consumer's attention. So that when you're in a place like Winnipeg um, or the GTA, 
people know that there's a team there and they know what it is. So um, if I'm talking to your average sports fan, um, you know, in Toronto, and, and I mentioned York 9 or, or Hamilton or, or Forge FC, sorry, um, they know what the heck you're talking about. Um, but again, that's, that's year one. Um, so, you know, like Tidal League is a startup company. It's a two-year-old company. Uh, does everyone in Halifax know who or what we are? Absolutely not. Um, so that's to be expected. But um, uh, in, the, the one thing that I think the league is also doing very well is that they picked good markets for the most part. Um, and all the cities that are being rumored for expansion, I think would be very uh, interesting to see teams in certain cities. But I, I'll keep coming back to the Wanderers. Um, I think the league also recognizes where its strengths are. Um, so I think it sees the value of being in cities like Halifax, where it's not the only show in town. There's other sports here, of course, but uh, it certainly punches way above its weight for a, for a football market uh, in the league. And um, when you talk to anyone, I think from across the country, um, whether they're sports fans, football fans, um, journalists, uh, guests of the show, uh, they all speak uh, with such affection um, for the, the product that, you know, um, Derek Martin and his, uh, his phenomenal team put on, on the, well, on the field, we could say a lot about uh, the results, <laughs> but the, uh, the, the product overall, they've, they've, built, they've built a phenomenal club in, in one year. I, um, I must say, though, like what you said there at the beginning, like, uh, like, like uh, for the product itself, like I watched the first game, um, I think it was Forge against somebody, I think it was like the Forge-York game. Yeah, and that's right. I remember sitting in the pub and I was just kind of like, with my European hat on, just being kind of like an asshole in my head, going like, like this is shit. And then I was just like, said to myself, like, as you said, just just go with the flow. Like, I mean, this is the first year league. These players, like, you know, like they're not Premier League players. But And then once I kind of like bought into it, like, it's been amazing. And to be honest, like, watching the quality of the football on the grass, like here in Halifax, has been immense. I think it makes a big difference. It's a huge difference in the stadium itself. Like, it's just so good. You're so close. Like, I, I like to watch the first half from the kitchen and then come down behind the net towards the second half and just the, the, the vantage point that you can get there you can hear you know when someone goes to take a corner you can you can hear them yell to, to the teammates um when two guys are scrapping for the ball down at the corner flag you, can, you really get the flavor and it feels like i used to go watch um uh kind of like like you know high level amateur games in scotland um uh, one of my neighbors played for a team called the mythical rose um and i used to go to and there'd be like 500 people in the grounds right like it was like 50 pence to get into the game um, but it was it was just so raw and gritty and the football was decent and um you know it was hard nosed it was it was so british um but you know just to have that experience in, in our city now and you know for for parents you know it's the most popular um played sport in in the country you know so for moms and dads to be able to take their kids down uh you know that play under eights uh Timbit soccer in their hometown to now be able to go down and see a a guy like Scott Firth, uh, who, you know, not so long ago was doing the exact same thing, like what, 10 years ago. Uh, but now see him out on the field, uh, potentially playing against, you know, someone, you know, had we, had we drawn um, uh, Montreal impact, like we were supposed to in the championship, if we beat um, the club from Quebec, um, Victor Wanyama could be on the, on the Wanderers friends, right. In one of those cup games and Scott Firth from, from fall river, you know, coming out of, uh, was it, was it Scotia he came through, uh, one, or Suburban? Yeah, Suburban. Yeah, Suburban. Yeah. Uh, one of those local clubs. You know, that's a phenomenal story, uh, something that I never thought in a million years that I would see in Nova Scotia. Um, so 
So it's just it's just a great thing that the you know the league's opened up these opportunities for Canadian players, and especially ahead of a 2026 World Cup, you know some of these young Canadian guys that are sort of the the 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 age range now. By the time that rolls around, they could be in sort of like the prime of their career. And if they if they keep playing domestic football, or if they go elsewhere, and surely they'll start being looked at uh, as Marco Carducci was. And I think maybe since then, a few others have sort of begun to be brought into the fold of the national team. We could see homegrown players from CPL teams playing in a 2026 World Cup on home soil. And that's phenomenal, something I never thought I'd ever see. So I guess like the big question for Canadian football going forward is obviously there's a lot of momentum now, obviously with the league. Players starting to do well in Europe. Like, I mean, we've got, like, like Lee Miller come true, and we've got yeah. Johnson David, obviously, the, the Fonz himself and stuff like that. What, what do you think they need to do to keep the momentum going? Because, like, I think, like, I, I've seen it happen with other countries where they've had that kind of crop of players come through and then they've messed it up. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think Canada needs to do to kind of keep this momentum going? Um, I, I'd like to see the Canada soccer uh, CSA do more to um, – to promote their, well, one, their stars. I mean, Alfonso Davies should be on billboards. He should be on TV commercial, commercials. He should be on the side, the side of buses. Down the um, podcast. He should be on yes, the podcast. Not to joke or cut, cut anybody off. He, like, when you break down how big soccer is as a sport around the world, Absolutely. he is the biggest Canadian athlete going right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He, he might be the most... Canadian, uh, the most important Canadian athlete in any sport right now. Um, and with no disrespect to some of our, uh, of our, of our gems. Um, he's at the, he's at the very beginning of his career. He's, he's started with one of the biggest clubs in Europe. Um, the, the story behind his, uh, his rise is it's huge. Uh, it's, it's, it's in, inspirational. Um, and it's so Canadian too. Um, you know, like we talk in this country so much about the importance of immigration and, it's a big part of the football culture, but it's also just such a big part of the, of the social fabric of the country. And so for people, for someone like him to come from the background that he came from, go through what he went, his family went through, and, you know, grow up the way he did in Edmonton and go through the Whitecaps program. Uh, it's just a, such an inspirational story. So uh, Alfonso Davies needs to be as widely known to Canadians as Sidney Crosby. And, they do a very good job with the women's national team. I think, um, like when I casually refer to Christine Sinclair in conversation with people who are not football enthusiasts, they generally know who I'm talking about, um, at least within context. But I think they really need to um, um, plaster the Canadian stars everywhere at every opportunity they possibly can. And, and then not just that, it's, it's the teams, it's the fact that football is growing in this country. We've got Canadians playing abroad in all different leagues. You know, like, um, you know, Charlie Trafford, uh, I had on the show, young guy from Calgary. Um, his brother plays for Cavalry. Uh, sorry, his cousin, actually. Um, he plays for Inverness Caledonian Thistle in the Scottish Championship. Um, he's just like a, I'd call him like a, a journeyman. You know, he's, he's made the rounds um, – in uh, in Finland, he played for a couple of teams in Poland before he got this um, landed at Inverness Cali Fiscal. We need to be telling these stories that we've got these young athletes, and 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 maybe this isn't just true of soccer. Maybe this is in other Canadian sports as well besides hockey. And but 
to keep the momentum going in, in football, we need to keep the interest up and we need to um, connect fans to these, these really interesting human, human stories. Um, it, you know, and not everyone's trying uh, is Alfonso Davies, right? Um, that, that's not all glitz and glam. Um, you know, some of these young guys, you know, we know the money that they're, they're making uh, playing for these CPL sides or for, you know, a second division club in, you know, Norway or something like that. They're not, uh, these are not superstars, but they're, they're doing honest, hard work. And they're, they're fighting to, uh, to, you know, to progress in their careers, potentially get a game for their country someday. Um, and again, ahead of the 2026 world cup where you, you know, the, the growth in this sport and the interest is just going to continue, um, to build up until that point. Um, we, we don't want to lose, we don't want to lose that momentum. And, and there's no better time, I think, to attract more people to be interested in the stories of some of these players. Uh, another huge opportunity that we need to tap into, and um, I think a lot's been said of it recently, uh, is, uh, is women's club football. Um, hey, Jess. <laughs> if, if, if you asked anyone um, in Canadian football, uh, I test my friends with it every once in a while, who does Christine Sinclair play for? And hardly anyone can name, name the side that she plays for. And she's been there for, for quite a while. Um, I think the league just kicked back off uh, this, week, yeah. this week, actually. Though. Right. Um, but we've got, you know, the, you know the, the women on the Canadian national side, they play for the biggest clubs in, in professional women's football. You know, you've got players playing for PSG, for Olympic Lyon, um, for uh, I think Man, Adrian, Man City, Man, Man City uh, Adriana Leones at um, yeah. uh, West Ham United. You know the top clubs in women's football, and then of course all the um, all the stars playing in the uh, in the American League. I'd love to see um, the NWSL adopt a, a similar expansion model to what the MLS did. Just just go straight to the the, the big market, the MLS cities that like you're in Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal as a starting point, and see how it goes. You know. Um, I, I know some of those cities are getting pretty saturated. You know, Toronto's, but it's a big city too, right? And everyone yeah. says that you know we, we can't we can't overcrowd the city. How many um, how many professional football teams are in London? Right? Exactly. Right. Like if if they put a women's team in Mississauga, for example, they could get three, four, or five thousand people a night. But yeah. The demand is there, and I think that comes back to your point as well, though. Like that, like the Canadian like soccer doesn't actually advertise these these players enough you know what i mean like like people should know where christine sinclair plays for they should know that there's players playing in europe you know what i mean like it's it's yeah. it's a huge achievement like and, to get and, to, go ahead just, sorry. So, sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but like following that i feel like um the cpl does a good job like branding that like in in social media like you yeah, know like the channels of the internet else. they do it but uh i mean like you won't see a poster of, of the CPL or, or, or something like when you arrive to the airport, you know, yeah. some, something like that. And I feel like there's more channels that they need to approach. Yeah. But let me tell you something. When the Canadian Premier League started and we have our first like game by CBC was the Wonders, I remember. Um, at the beginning when they started, they, they uh, broadcast the uh, Forge versus York. That was the first uh, uh, yeah. CPL game. And one week they were running an advertisement on on TSN on CVC, but that's it. 
So they yeah. got all the hype and people were so proud on seeing that on national television or yeah. cable or paid cable. So, but then they dropped the ball. They focus more. And I think that it's more like a budget perspective. And I understand plus they have a deal with media pro one soccer. So they have to respect that. But I, I agree with you. It should be another channel. So advertisement that they can, um, approach, you know, like there's banners, bus ads, etc. Yeah. Just to follow up that question. The Wanderers uh, did uh, a bit. I remember coming home from um, a work trip and uh, they did, you know where the Keith's thing is where you come down the stairs to the airport? They did have yeah. a big Wanderers thing there for a while in no, advance. Of the, it was just before the first game though. So uh, really building the hype. But I, I think it's hard because Halifax, uh, they've done such a good job compared to the other clubs. And I, I think a lot of that's been done locally. Um, strange thing with the CPL being so nationally managed and that makes it a little bit difficult for teams to go out in their own city and, and really do their own thing. Um, but I think, that, I think that's a great point. And with this relationship with media pro, I've, I, I know, I know the way that um, a lot of fans, uh, you know, think of one soccer, the coverage, the broadcast quality, that sort of thing. But I do think that there might be some, um, opportunity and if i if i've got my fingers crossed like this i do think that um media pro because you know how involved that they were um with bringing atletico into the the cpl mm-hmm. hole i think that they see the immense potential in this country for this sport so whether maybe they're not uh, to your point they're really not building big budgets for it right now maybe they're it's um a slow strategy yeah. yeah piece by piece to see how it goes they don't want to maybe um, lay out millions of dollars in capital in case, um, you know, the momentum doesn't continue, but they're going to like watch it closely. And, and like, I, I really think that there's, there's just so much room to grow with this sport. And, um, you know, and if, if we can get other teams in other markets in Canada to um, replicate the success of the Wanderers, uh, just in terms of being well-known in its community and really entrenched into the fabric of the community. And another thing that they've done that, I mean, I don't know because I'm not from the other cities, but I don't get the sense that any other team has built their club brand and culture um, as closely connected to the actual community that the Wanderers did. And they're, they're all playing catch up. Like, I mean, like we were talking to Angus McNabb, he's the managing yeah. consultant for, uh, for York. And you can see that, that like he's he's looking at the model. Like he said, he was here, and he like you know he's out having a few points and all that kind of stuff. But like they're taking these things away and realizing that you know to to beat the bigger sports in the city, that they have to get down to that grassroots level. Like even like little things where he said like with scheduling, like not having them clash with kids. Yeah, football, stuff like absolutely. That. Like, that's just common sense. I know it sounds common sense when we say it out loud, but I mean, obviously, somebody didn't think about that, right? And it's, I think it's just those little bits and pieces and I, I honestly think that like had this season not been curtailed I think that we would have seen a jump in in crowd size in York to be very a hundred percent and yeah just uh, you know with uh, York I sympathize for because and this was a mistake and I and I think they've acknowledged that now and um, the name, yeah, it, it it doesn't resonate like like and I I, I can't remember like I think I heard someone say. I, I lived up there, man, and, and yeah. they'd rather go watch Seneca soccer than York 9, unfortunately. Yeah. And aren't, aren't there 10 municipalities that make up the York region, not nine? 
Uh, well, they, uh, I think it Markham is the yeah, depending on what you, Markham or Richmond Hill. One of those two is kind of like left out of the fold, or it's kind of yeah, it's an argument. Yeah. yeah. So, but the, my point is, no one um, in that region identifies themselves as ah oh, yes, I am from one of the nine local <laughs> local uh, municipalities that make up I, the York the York. I'm from New York. I'm from the fourth stripe. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and with no disrespect to Winnipeg, because if you look at uh, Winnipeg's other sports clubs, you know, the Winnipeg Jets and the Blue Bombers, they've got obviously that close uh, affiliation with the, uh, the Canadian Air Force. So that's fantastic. But they named the club Valor, which, you know, any city in Canada that has a close attachment to the, uh, the armed forces, you could name your club that essentially. So I don't know that everyday Winnipeggers are walking around with this close um, affinity or association to the, to the word valor or bravery or service because they live in a city where the armed forces are based. So, you know, like we have, we have half yeah. of Canada's Navy here. We have Shearwater here. Uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, an Air Force base in the, in the Valley. And like we could have called the Wanderers valor, right? But you know, it's, it's, try, it's almost trying to manufacture culture. If they had named the club that 100 years ago, uh, or they had the club had um, developed from an association with the Air Force 100 years ago and grown that way, it would be more authentic and genuine. You know, the way like, um, like Arsenal have their, you know, the Gunners and um, the history behind that, uh, it, it would seem more authentic. So you, you can't manufacture, and that's what, what Matt Fegan was saying uh, when he was on the show. It was really um, refreshing to hear. They weren't trying to like go out and create something and sell it to the community. They just looked at the community and like, okay, what do we have here? Who, who are we? Um, and that's why I think our brand is so powerful and relatable and it connects uh, very deeply and emotionally to Haligonians, even if you're not a big football fan. It just screams Halifax, um, and, it, and it feels and it feels so authentic. Um, you know, everything about the stadium feels authentic, and it feels like Halifax. You know, whether it's the shipping containers for the VIP booths, um, to the to the local local restaurants and pizza shops and stuff like that, uh, or the uh, the craft beer suppliers that are um, you know for the concessions. It's they, they just they nailed it on so so many levels, and I think that the CPL now has to. Um, from a broader national perspective and um, uh, equally um, develop the brand in a, in a very authentic and genuine Canadian way. It can't be um, built and then sold to Canadians. It has to sort of um, develop more organically. And I think that would come over the years. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think it will uh, as the product develops, as the game develops, as the exposure uh, they get more fan feedback. The league, from what I can tell, it, it does seem fairly responsive to um, to fan feedback early on, and um, so, so that's that's uh, that's hopeful. Um, and not to cut you off, you you've brought up twenty twenty six a couple times. Yeah, it almost feels like a start finish line, like they're trying to get to a peak point for twenty twenty six, and then you've been talking about momentum come twenty twenty six. How can we develop an entire generation to make soccer, we'll say at the very least, the number three sport in the country? You know, it's going to be hard to beat hockey. And yeah. football is football, NFL. 
you know, any, any country in the world, that's normally the number two, number three, but I, I feel like the CSA have a goal to make it the number three sport. So that's, that's, you've been bringing up that over and over again about the momentum and everything. And I think that's a very, very, very good point. Yeah. And if, if you think about it, like, remember back to when you were sort of 13, 14, 15, when you're really at your peak of playing like youth sports and you're really invested in your sport and uh, maybe you play multiple sports, but, but now you have the opportunity for a modest uh, fee to become a season ticket holder of your local club. Right. So now we have six years of getting those sort of 12, 14, 16 year old kids um, addicted to the, to the game of football, right? They can't go watch um, professional basketball really in the city. They can't go watch NFL or CFO for sure. Um, there's no baseball and you know, lacrosse is, you know, it's, a, it's a great sport um, and, and the team are great, but um it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't have nearly the popularity that, um, that, that football has. So if you get those kids at that age group that are playing for their local clubs, again, they've done a great job working with the, um, the local, like Soccer Nova Scotia and all the, um, the local youth clubs. You get those kids at that age and you get them addicted and they're, um, they're going to the games for years. You know, so by the time that they're 20, 22, 24, um, you know, they could be either playing, they can be playing football professionally, but if not, and, and of course, and that's not always the goal. Like not every kid who plays soccer is going to go out and play professional soccer, but they're going to be fans for life. Right. And they're going to remember going to those games. And I did like growing up in Livingston, when we were in the Scottish uh, third and second division, it was one pound to get into the game um, built a new stadium in uh, 95 or 96, I think. And it's a nice, nice all-seater stadium. And, but it wasn't, it wasn't expensive to get in. We had decent players. Um, John Robertson, the Hearts legend, uh, came and played for Livingston for a bit, went on to be the manager. But I grew up with that. Every, and every week on a Saturday, I'd go down to, um, it's called Adam Vale Stadium at the time, um, a pound to get in, a pound for a pie, an iron brew. And I'd go with five or six of my school friends, right? So I, a pound, that's a sweet deal. Yeah, exactly. And I, I was never going to not be a football fan after years and years of having that experience, right? And so I think that's where, that's where the league has a role to play. And on the one hand, yes, developing the players so that, we've, that, you know, that Canada is um, a respectable footballing nation by 2026, um, but also just to help grow the, the fan culture and, de and develop it and you know, so that your average everyday Canadian has uh, more affinity for the sport, a better understanding for the sport. Our football culture, um, you know, uh, matures a little bit. Um, obviously, so much of it is shaped by uh, our immigrant population and the influence and the experiences and the knowledge that uh, immigrants, uh, you know, bring to the country. Um, and, and that is Canada. That's who we are as a country, uh, football aside. Um, but we need to develop a little bit of our own footballing identity too. That's, um, you know, now, now everyone's here. We're all in this big landmass called Canada together. We all love this sport. Um, who are we when it comes to soccer? And what, what does our league and our team look and feel like? Uh, how do we talk about the game? How do we sing about the game? Um, and I think those things will all mature as we get closer to 2026. And um, if you, if any of you got a chance to see the, um, 
the uh, Women's World Cup games that were played in Moncton, like I thought it was fantastic. And um, it felt a lot like the Wanderers grounds. You know, they, they built onto the University of Moncton's uh, stadium, hosted an incredible event. But just to have a FIFA, a FIFA-sanctioned event in Atlantic Canada uh, was so cool. And to see some of the, the big stars from, from the England team and the France team, uh, you know, playing in Moncton was, was really special. And, you know, to have that same opportunity – in 2026, where the you know the best footballers in the world will be on Canadian soil, how are we going to cover the game? How are we, how are you know when you know the sportscasters are down on the streets of Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, interviewing people on the sidewalk? You know, and how how is that going to look and feel? Is it going to feel genuine? Is it going to feel like we're a mature footballing country by then? And I think the answer is yes. I think uh, by the time that date rolls around, we'll be more than ready for it. As you mentioned, there you went to see um, like the Canadian rugby team here in, in Halifax and stuff like that. In England, they did it when Wembley was getting uh, redesigned. They kind of did like a tour of England. Would you like to see the Canadian men's team like play like outside of the big cities and come and like, like let us see, see them play, you know? I, I'd like to see the Canadian men, but even more so, I'd like to see the Canadian women in Halifax. Um, and uh, even the youth, not to cut you off, and even the yeah, youth. Yeah, the bring, opportunities bring, here. bring the U19s, the U21s, exactly. And I think people would go. The, the Dusseldorf uh, thing was a good example. People will, will go see youth football. Uh, another good example of that was um, the women's team were getting ready for the um, last Olympics. They did the last friendly against Brazil in Ottawa. 22,000 people to see a, an exhibition game, right? That's and, insane, right? Yeah. You could sell out the Wanderers ground. Now, sure, it's um, 6,000 6, people, but you could play uh, three games in a weekend and sell out three nights in a row. And then, then you got 18,000 tickets sold instead of six. And it's, um, it's funny you say that, not to cut you off again. I no, keep no, cutting no. you off, Sandy. I'm no, sorry, bro. No, no, no. Like, come 2026, Halifax almost becomes one of those, I don't know if hub city is the right term, but like one of those cities where you can send two, three teams to train, and then you just set it. You've got a week of friendlies. Yeah. Where you're selling, I'm terrible at math, 25, 30,000 tickets. You, you could 100% do that. And I, I think that yeah. that's, that's a great model. And, and to your point about having the tour, it's just an easy way to get exposure for the players. Every single football fan in this country should know who um, Jordan Haitima is or Janine Becky and Adriana Leon. And uh, I mean, I know Sophie Schmidt and Diana Matheson. Shalina Sadorsky. Yeah, Shalina Sadorsky is a great example. Stephanie Labe. You know, um, we should know who these people are, not just when they're playing in the Olympics, right? Um, like these are these are full-time professional football players, um, and they, they punch well above their weight on a global scale for what they do. We're, you know, not, not the top footballing power in women's uh, football, but we, we certainly have, uh, you know, some pedigree compared to some of the more traditionally um, successful countries involved in the mill game and um, so that's that's exactly where the cfc needs to i think make some investment and build more momentum and um, because and i'll tell you i'll say this as a lifelong football fan for me the 2012 olympics when the um the women won bronze and um, that that got me hooked on women's football and um, but i'll tell you this it got me it it changed my perspective on football generally and um, it was the first time I really thought to myself, like, wow, Canada is a bit of a football country too. Like, like you know, yes. we, 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 we became enamored by, yeah, it was a success story. And yes, it was the bandwagon effect, like I was saying earlier about the Raptors. Um, but so what? 
it turned people into football fans. Yeah. Well, you were you were you were talking about niche earlier, and like I remember Bubba Ray's. I don't know yeah. if Anthony. I don't know if any of you guys remember Bubba Ray's. Yeah. I love Bubba Ray's. Spring Garden. Yeah. When, like there, yeah. you took you just took the words out of my mouth, Carlos. Like Bubba Ray's at Spring Garden when they played the USA. That I've never seen that place more full. And I've been there for Super Bowls. I've been there for boxing matches. I've been there for Stanley Cup Finals, Euros, World Cup. I've yeah. been there for it all. But when Canada played the USA in that Olympic game, it there were no seats. There were actually yeah. people waiting outside. Mm-hmm. It kind of felt like, and you were talking about over the last 20 years and for Anthony the last 10 years, when the game kind of turned, you're right. That 2012 run kind of invested people that might not have been into the game especially yeah. females, right into the game head first. Uh, this is a question um, m- more like going back a little bit um, regarding the CPL uh, before it gets away from my head. Yeah, like we need to invest a little bit more, but do, what do you think about the clubs itself? We got the coaches, but do you think I would love to see the clubs being managed like in other areas like a professional club, you know, like nowadays football is evolving and we see, for example, like a video department that they do the analytics and they do editing video, they do tactics, they have the physio department, um, the nutrition department, they, they have a training camp when they go, they concentrate there. Um, that's what I would love to see for every single club to, to, yeah. to take it more like a pro, you know, yeah. because I know there's a lot of owners that they're not kind of like soccer savvy. They're just like business investors and they nail it with uh, – with having a club and, and engage the community and anything, but I feel like a little bit of football knowledge, it's lacking a little bit in each club Yeah. in terms of like how to manage it. So I feel like that's an area that it shouldn't be taken for granted because I feel like if you want to succeed as a football club, you need to pay attention to those areas. Yeah. What's your take on that? I, I agree entirely. And I think that those are the kinds of things that will help, um, you know, attract, you know, better players. And, uh, you know, like, you know, maybe someone's not going to want to move from a, a second division Italian team to, um, you know, to a, a small city in Canada that doesn't have some, some of these basic things that they would be used to from, from European leagues. However, however, and again, this speaks to the innovation um, and the creative thinking of some of the people behind the clubs. And I, again, I'm just going to keep using the Wanderers example because I know the club better okay so we don't have all those things but what do we have in this city we have universities we have uh we have other uh small small businesses or startups uh, technology companies Halifax has become a bit of an it hub so i know uh, matt hinted that when he was on the show couldn't get into a lot of specifics but maybe they're working with some sports analytics companies behind the scenes and um, he he did refer to an algorithm that they're developing um with a local company to help identify um the type of player that would be best suited to playing for the Wanderers within the style of football that the Wanderers want to be playing or know they need to be playing to succeed in this league now. So that's, that's innovative and that's really cool. Um, the Halifax Wanderers right now don't have uh, the budget to, to launch its own youth academy. So they've, they, they've, they've looked at some other clubs um, around, uh, around Europe and in England and in uh, Denmark, uh, Matt was telling me about, where they've got a they've got different models um, of how to tap into the uh, to the local uh, the youth um, playing community 
and how, how they've been nurtured, identify, nurture, and develop the talent. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think to your point, we absolutely 100% need to develop that capacity um, to have, have the resources, uh, maybe not on the same scale, but at least the same types of resources that big clubs would have. Um, mm-hmm. And I think over time, as the clubs grow, and the league grows, and the budgets grow, we, we will get there. But I think um, what's the most important thing that all the clubs need to be doing in the meantime is, okay, we don't have these things now. What can we do instead to help make up for that? What partnerships, what other resources exist in our city? Meaningful. Um, yeah. And I, I think the Wanderers are already doing it. I don't, I don't know as much about the other clubs. But, um, you know, leverage partnerships where you can. Um, and, again, that's uh, Halifax. We're, we're blessed with a lot of um, phenomenal resources, a lot of good institutions, uh, the universities being one of them. Uh, the league has already done a very good job, I think, um, working with and partnering with the, um, you know, like AUS and um, uh, the U-Sport model and um, ingraining, um, you know, the, the, the student athletes into the, uh, the development of the league, which I think is a, another fantastic thing, highly, highly unique, I think, in the footballing world. But we need to see more stuff like that. Um, and I think to, to your point that that will help us uh, develop the resources and the capacities that, that we need to manage these clubs like like true professional um, football teams like they, like they would in, in Europe and elsewhere. This is probably the most important question of all. Can you tell people what Iron Brew is? Iron Brew is <laughs> um, not – I'll tell you what it's not because it says this right <laughs> on it's not a, It's not a source of iron. This is <laughs> – it is a Scottish soft drink, and and I wish I wish I had a can of it around to show you, but it is a a bright, almost fluorescent orange um, soda type beverage, and the, it doesn't taste like orange at all. So it's not a Fanta, it's not a an orange soda. It sounds it's, like cream soda or something, isn't it? Like it's kinda, it has a weird taste to it. It's um, it, it's yeah, it's got a bit of a bubble gummy, uh, creamy flavor to it. But it's uh, produced by a company called Bar B A R R in in Glasgow. Uh, I think it's still mostly brewed there. But uh, what's what makes it unique is it was the first beverage ever sold in the same market that Coca Cola was sold in to outsell Coca Cola. Oh, what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've heard of this before. I have yeah. heard of this before. You, you and, can get you can get it at uh, it, it, it is available at Pete's. Those yeah, so you got it. Yeah. You see it at Sobeys every once in a while in the international food aisle. If you want to pay uh, $4, I think, for a, you know, a, a, short, a, short, a short can like this. Of, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so, you, so you have to remember, this is the country that gave us the world haggis and deep fried yeah. Mars bar. So yeah. uh, take, yeah. take it as you will. <laughs> Absolutely. I need to try that. Oh, yeah. man. It, it goes great with vodka. It goes great with whiskey. Um, nice. Whiskey oh, and iron brew. He's, he's diving right yeah. in there. Yeah. He's, uh, that's like the most Glasgow drink of all time. Whiskey and iron brew. Uh, yeah. so, so, so just before we let you go, I just thought it might be good just for you to go, give us like a little bit of info on the Tidal League Africa. I noticed that's kind of something that's on your website. And I was just wondering like, what, uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about that because it seems like a really cool initiative. Yeah, Kurt, uh, Kurt's from Zimbabwe. And... Um, sport uh, across the world and and i know this and, and it's uh, near and dear to my heart because of uh, celtic so celtic uh, were established as a charity before they were a professional football team uh, an irish catholic uh, monk or priest uh, brother walfred founded the team in 1887 
to help raise money to feed um, the poor um, Irish Catholic immigrants that had come to Glasgow fleeing the famine in Ireland. And, um, and so the, the, the club was developed first and foremost as a charitable organization. And over the years, the Celtic Foundation has done a ton of work, I think raised 10 million uh, euros for, for various causes, whether it's, you know, kids, sick kids in Scotland, or uh, they do a lot of work in, in places like Mali and other countries in Africa. So uh, this is why I'm so excited to be part of a company like Tidalik, who only two years in um, to existence, uh, see the power and importance. And I'd even argue the responsibility of, um, of clubs, teams, uh, but companies involved in sport to leverage the uh, passion and attachment uh, that um, you can develop within children and within communities for sport. sport. So essentially, um, this is um, an initiative. Uh, it's going to be taking place first and foremost in Zimbabwe to help, um, to help bring the opportunity to, um, to children in underprivileged communities in, in that country to access the sport of basketball and learn a little bit. I mean, if you guys, if you have ever played uh, sports as a kid, when you learn a sport, you don't just learn how to dribble a basketball, how to shoot a basketball. You learn how to be a leader. You learn how to be a teammate. You learn how to train and take care of your body. And, you know, you learn some discipline. Uh, you learn rules and respect for rules. And um, I'm not saying it's like, you know, like keep kids off the street, just that sort of thing. But um, you, you really develop as a, as a person. So in those communities uh, where they don't have access to, to a lot of sporting equipment or the resources, and, you know, those, those kids that, you know, would otherwise be developing those skills are, are going without. So, so Title League Africa is uh, an initiative led by one of our partners uh, to help um, increase at least the exposure or access to, to playing basketball in Zimbabwe. And I think um, uh, over the course of the next couple of months, um, we'll start seeing some more announcements. I think we've maybe got a press release uh, pending about uh, some investments and some, um, some initiatives that are going on to really launch it. Right now, I think it's mostly still in the, the concept phase. And it, it's something that I'm really excited about just because it, it, it demonstrates the, the, the way we see sport um, uh, from a, a social and a cultural perspective. Um, and I think, I think it's true of almost all, all sports, but like soccer is well known for it. And, you know, it, it's not just the games. It's not just the results. It's not just the performances. It's, uh, um, you know, the, the role. And I, again, I would say, use the word responsibility, um, you know, in, in these communities. So yeah, it's an exciting initiative. And, uh, I'd, I'd encourage you guys to keep keep your eyes open and uh, see what's going on with it. And again, it would be so nice. I, I, I love um, I love that these things are being launched from from Halifax too. You know, and you know this, this community is is a wonderful place, and um, there's a lot of uh, talented and interesting people here, and there's, there's a lot of opportunities. And um, it's just it's just cool to be involved with a, a local company that um, you know think big and think globally and. Um, are, are keen to get involved with something like that. It's amazing, and it's uh, it's 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 definitely something that we'll keep our eye on because it's a really cool idea. Um, yeah. So basically, just before uh, we finish up, where can people find you on social media? Where can they find the podcasts? Um, yeah. So, so we're we're Title League on Instagram and Facebook. Um, 
We're on, we're on LinkedIn. Uh, you can hear the podcast at Title League FC is on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, the Title League podcast, that's uh, my partner Patricia's uh, basketball show. Uh, recent guest was uh, Robert Covington, uh, the NBA star. And uh, Courtside Moms is uh, still going strong. And that's, uh, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and the, the two podcast um, sites. And, uh, and again, uh, we've got the special uh, video exclusive coming up in a few weeks. Uh, with a uh, fairly well-known Canadian uh, Hollywood star. And uh, we're going to be talking about football and hockey in that episode, and that will be uh, on all our social media channels as well as uh, YouTube. So uh, watch out for Ryan Reynolds on Title League in the next <laughs> week or two. Uh, <laughs> stop, man. You need to stop. I was actually going to guess Mike Myers. Yeah. Oh, my, uh, might know a little bit more about football than uh, Ryan Reynolds would. I'm, I'm not sure, though. <laughs> so yeah so uh oh, so i like sandy i like sandy <laughs> we uh we, we really appreciate you coming on man it's been fascinating hearing the the story behind the Tide league fc it's definitely one of our favorite podcasts to listen to so um thanks a lot guys we appreciate that and uh, just know that we're listening to yours as well so uh come on you spurs up the celts yeah, so there's fun. actually there's actually two sports fans i've had on in space for a week man it's a fucking record for the story for the show <laughs> so thanks a million i really appreciate it Thanks to Sandy for joining us and thanks also to Chris and Carlos for their input. You can subscribe to the show at downthepub.ca so you never miss an episode. Thanks everyone for your support. It's really appreciated. Until next time, cheers. You've been listening to the Down The Pub podcast recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, Cheers.